Hello and welcome to the iCandy Duo podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Williams. This podcast is brought to you by iCandy World, makers of beautifully British pushchairs for parents across the globe. We're delighted to be joined on the iCandy Duo podcast by award-winning celebrity hairdresser Luke Benson. A session stylist, Luke's craft sees him working with big brands, countless celebrities, magazine editorials, red carpet looks and most recently in education and mentoring too. Between counting Billie Eilish, Anna Friel and Liam Payne amongst his clients, Luke is a new dad to Smiley Margot. We caught up with him to talk about at-home hairdressing mishaps, fatherhood and the light his daughter has brought to a dark year. Hi Luke, thank you so much for being on the iCandy Duo podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you for having me. Yes, wonderful to have you. Lockdown point three, we're still in the midst of, um, but you've had quite an eventful eventful year, namely yeah. you've, you know, you welcomed lovely baby Margot in, is it April? It was April, so we pretty much had a full lockdown with a baby. I mean, I think it was... I think it was full lockdown, like maybe a couple of weeks after she was born. So thank God I was actually able to be at the birth because that was a, a bit of a worry at the time. Um, but Sophie, my fiance, she had to stay that, stay in for a couple of days afterwards. So I wasn't allowed to be there for that with the, the restrictions. But um, luckily, I was there for the birth and everything. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you must have just caught that yeah. sort of sp- Base, you know, yeah, because my um my birthday's in April. I remember it's at the beginning of April, um April the ninth. If there's any sort of Margot's the same, I don't know. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, I was it was full lockdown at that point, so it was kind of like the height of the uh, initial madness. So poor Margot, she, all she knows is just mummy and daddy just being constantly around. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one um, because obviously, like when she sees people. They're predominantly masked up. Uh, um, so she kind of doesn't really know what many people look like with full faces, which is odd. That's um, a really good point. But I then from a positive point of view, to be able to have time as a three has been you know, amazing, really, because realistically I would have maybe had a week or two's paternity leave and and that was it. So if you can try and take a positive out of a you know, a pretty dire situation, it's that. Yeah, I have to say a lot of people that we've spoken to during this, you know, during the podcast, and the whole thing has been recorded remotely in various different stages of, you know, tears or lockdowns and stuff. And I have to say, yeah, a lot of new parents have taken that as as a fantastic positive. Some have, you know, weren't as quite as lucky as you guys where they haven't even been able to, you know, like, attend the birth themselves. But... They have been able to spend so much time with them, which is, which is fantastic. Where normally, you know, especially I imagine as a, as as the you know a, a professional hairdresser yourself, I'm sure you are pulled in every direction when you get busy. You know, being at home for those kind of precious early moments would have been sort of like a, a sort of distant wish. So uh, that's oh. fan- that's fantastic. That's worked out for you guys. Um, I mean, how I mean, how have you been getting on with? 
we've I mean hairdressers in particular have been really hit throughout this this whole period and um I mean I I sit here with my own hairdo after not seeing my hairdresser <laughs> for a good year so there's a lot of people personally hit by hairdressers not being open um I mean the last time we spoke I think it was back in June and you did us a wonderful kind of like little masterclass just to help a few people through um, some um, dire hair moments. I mean, have you, you know, how have you managed to fill your time during this this period? To be honest with you, I've been quite lucky because kind of world that I'm in, doing sort of session and celebrity kind of hair, we're in a bracket that sort of fits in with like TV and production. So lockdown one, I couldn't really work, but ever since then, we've we've been able to. Um, which I feel really fortunate for. However, there is an element of guilt when I've got friends who work in salons who aren't able to work when, you know, they couldn't effectively be much cleaner. They've invested so much time and money into making the, the stations as hygienic as possible and the salons with social distancing and, and all these things. Um, but then I'm allowed to go to work and pretty much do the same thing. Um, so there is an element of guilt there. Um, however, you know, being able to work has been a distraction from all of this. Um, and obviously from a, you know, from a financial point of view, I'm, a, I'm one of those awkward sort of limited company um, people where there's not been the, as much of the government support or anything, so I can't exactly you know furlough myself. So luckily, work has been here and there. Obviously, with Sophie on maternity leave, which is only for a short period of time, um, I've been I've been pretty fortunate. Um, but I do think something needed to be looked at really in opening salons up sooner than they have been. It seems a little bit unfair, but hopefully, my video did help people um and there's god there's been so many on instagram and youtube people really trying to trying to help people at home to to combat lockdown locks shall we say (laughs) no absolutely i have to say i mean I was uh, revisiting your the video that you did for us, um, like I say, back in June, because my poor husband, <laughs> he sort of looks like he uh, sleeps in a skip at the moment. He looks very unloved. So um, and the pressure's kind of slowly building where he's kind of looking at me going, well, if you don't like it, you're going to have to help me. So um, I might have to call on you for some uh, just refresher <laughs> tips on this. Um or I'll just do an all over number one and just live with the consequences. Yeah, it grows. <laughs> this is it. Luckily, I have to say, I mean, I actually oh, fell into the classic uh, lockdown uh, trap where, um, Luke, I cut my own fringe in. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which I have to say, I, I've had a fringe for many a year. Uh, but it's, uh, but yeah, I went bold and I went, I went straight for it and uh, it, it went okay. I mean, maybe everybody on on Zoom calls and everything and meetings have just been very polite, <laughs> knowing okay. I can't really necessarily. That's a positive. Yeah, and then maybe yeah, maybe I've just got really lovely colleagues. Maybe that's the yeah, lesson here. That might be it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Because you must have had quite a few people, you know, going to you. Even friends must have been like, "Luke, you gotta you gotta help me help me out here and stand in." Did you feel kind of sort of motivated to kind of? Uh, step in and help where you can when you weren't did, able to uh, work. I did a few videos of sort of 
how to cut your own hair as a guy, which I'm not going to lie, is incredibly difficult. I mean, I was quite proud of my effort in the end, but it took so long. Um, and I think, you know, it's been such a funny year, really, hasn't it? So seeing some of these attempts by people on the, uh, on the news has been a bit of light entertainment for everyone. I suppose it's given people the chance to maybe try haircuts that they wouldn't normally have. Um, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Or at the very least, realise how important hairdressers are. Hairdressers are. Yes. Yeah, that's been a benefit for us as an industry, for sure. Yeah. Because I do think we are taken for granted sometimes as, you know, oh, it's just something It's nice to go and get done every sort of couple of months or whatever. But it really is a necessity and it does make yourself feel a lot better. Um, so hopefully when this is all over then the realization that hairdressing as an industry is uh, is really key to how how we all feel oh hugely i have to say i've been a long believer um in investing in hair and I, I sometimes think people think that sounds a bit vain or whatever but it's like it's the one thing you wear every day <laughs> do you know what i mean it's the one thing you wear every day um and it's worth getting a professional to get their hands on it um, and look after it. I know years of doing home dye kits, which have their warrant. They definitely have their merit. And I know they've been a massive saviour for a lot of people uh, during this mm -hmm. period, but you can really see the difference, it, you know, that versus going in and, you know, eight, Seven, yeah. Yeah, years of experience being applied <laughs> to your barnet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think my poor husband, Max, is about to be testament to that as I uh, get my hands on his head <laughs> later this week. Because uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's getting to a point where I, even I can't look at him anymore. But I mean, <clears throat> enough of that. But I mean, you've been, I mean, you've been a hairdresser, like we were talking about years of experience and stuff like that just then. I mean, how did you, how did your career begin? Obviously, you've been doing it for a long time. But how did you, how did you get to being like, so, you know, like you said, a celebrity hairstylist working in magazines. How did you get to that point? I kind of did the, I did the route, if you know, if that makes sense. So I, I started hairdressing at 17 and did the salon thing for what, 13 odd years, you know, working for different people and trying to get strings to my bow and learn from different, different people and different product brands and, you know, that kind of thing. But I suppose maybe from about 2013, 14, I, I, I started to push myself down the more kind of competition and show route side of, of the industry. Um, and then in 2016, I won London Hairdresser of the Year, uh, which was huge, really. And, you know, I was 30 at the time, which I think I was second youngest uh, guy to win that after Anthony Muscolo who started Tony and Guy so incredible um, <laughs> it was, yeah I know it's quite an accolade and sometimes it doesn't really sink in still now um, and I suppose from the back of that I kind of always knew that I wanted to work for myself um, and I'd been doing fashion weeks and shooting when I could on my days off and things and it's a really funny one like you, I just sort of woke up and I just thought I've got, if I don't use this as a bit of a catapult um, I'm kind of never going to do it and I wasn't getting the, the PR from where I was working at the time so 
to do it on my own. Um, and I suppose I just took the plunge and it did shock quite a few people, you know, friends and stuff in our industry that I was London hairdresser of the year, fully booked clientele one day to suddenly London hairdresser of the year, but jobless effectively. Um, and you do wake up and you think, oh, right, okay, I need to do something about this. And you, in a way, that was probably the, the good thing about it because it, it gave me that sort of fuel to the fire that I really had to, to get on um, and get myself out there. And, yeah, I just sort of said yes to everything. I could. I was shooting as much as I could. I've got friends who are photographers and stylists and, yeah, we just did as much as we could. And then I kept building up more my portfolio and then I got taken on by my agent. And I suppose the rest is history, really. It's like they look after my kind of day-to-day bookings and I owe a lot to them because they've helped to navigate my career in the direction that I want to. But then obviously you are just as good as your, your last shoot. So I can never really rest on my laurels. I've got to keep grind in a way because it is a tough a tough industry and there's a lot of people fighting for the you know for the same bookings for the same shoots celebs covers so but it's, it's enjoyable every week's very different I think that's actually really true and I think because uh, my my husband works in sort of the creative industry and obviously mm. I, I'm kind of the opposite end I'm the kind of nine to five you know I know yeah. when I'm getting paid each month that kind of thing and I do think there is something very special within people that go into the creative arts and it's that I mean I say it's very special I mean I think it's this perpetual fear like you say it's that you were always kind of looking for the next job you're always kind of really fielding it out and you really do have to kind of put yourself out there um because it's it's such a sort of competitive market but it really reaps incredible awards um Mm because I mean you know you've done stuff for Vogue, Vanity Fair, GQ I mean out of, I mean, along with the numerous celebrities and red carpet looks and things that you've worked on, I mean, what would you say have been career highlights for you? Uh, yeah, I've been really fortunate. Um, I've worked with some great people. Winning London Hairdresser of the Year from a kind of career accolade, I, I think, would struggle to be topped. Mm. But I did Billie Eilish for the Brits. And that was a real kind of pinch me moment because she's probably the biggest musician at the time, maybe like in the kind of the world at the time. And there was just this massive aura about her doing this performance because it was a James Bond theme, et cetera, et cetera. So when, you know, that came through, it was a real rush to get everything ready for it. Um, and she was just the nicest person and it was super chilled and she has her family around her and a really lovely team. And effectively we just kind of hung out and she rehearsed and she smashed her performance and then she booked me for the next day for press. Um, so then when you start seeing, you know, the, the social activity and PR and things after an event like that is, um, yeah, that's pretty wow. Um, I don't think I'll forget that one. That's incredible. And I, I mean, that's, um, it, it, that's, that's a wonderful story, actually, because I think, again, it kind of relates back to a lot of um, opportunities that are created 
within the creative industry and that is that you know um the fact that she puts you in the next day and you know you kind of have that continued relationship and I, I think that's I mean I'm not talking to someone who has a stylist I promise you this is you know again why we do not have our cameras on but um <laughs> <laughs> as she says with a, her, her home cut like fringe <laughs> but um I think it's it's so built on relationships and trust as well because I on that very lead I mean you've been quite involved um for a, for a little while I guess it's probably uh, before lockdown but probably more amplified during um with your kind of like your mentoring uh, sort of programs yeah. and sort of more into education again I suppose it's that kind of building that relationship and trust and kind of really not just teaching like guys the craft it's how to be you know that person on the day yeah. to really support various different talents and um, different personalities. I mean, why did it, was there a specific reason why you went into that side of things? And is it sort of particularly important to you, you know, to sort of hand down that kind of knowledge? Yeah, I think to be honest with you, I, I was really fortunate that I worked for and was trained by some fantastic people. And then if I'd assist at Fashion Week or on shoots, you know, you it's an industry where you're always learning. And I think it's really important to give back. Um, I always try, I mean, it's been a bit more difficult with shoots during this whole COVID thing because of numbers on sets. But I try to get an assistant um, on shoots, not, not for that kind of devery thing that I want help and to turn up with an assistant. It's more that, if they can pick something up or watch or just be in that environment, I think it's, it's really beneficial. Um, and yeah, I'm doing a little mentoring program with uh, four young hairdressers at the moment for 18 months and I try and give them as much of my time as possible and did a boot camp week with some of my friends who are in, one of my friends is head of social media for UEFA Roman Kemp came on and spoke to them all about presentation skills. I had a real mix of things that, because I tried to keep it away from hairdressing, so it was a bit more kind of interesting for them. Um, and I feel like they they picked up a lot, but obviously, again, with lockdown, we, it's, it's been hard to be able to meet up with them. So hopefully that will change. Um, but I just think in any industry, especially creative industries, if you don't give your time back, and for the younger talent and that that industry will eventually you know, die away I, I want to get to the point where there are assistants that are better than me because then it means the industry will be better and then they'll pass it on and hairdressing as a industry will be better and there'll be less kind of worry about people going to get their hair done because there's a lot of people who are nervous about it so if it's seen as a more respected industry um, then that can only be seen as a positive in my eye. Mm, that's 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 a it's an incredible ethos to go into it, and um, I think you know it makes you realise, doesn't it, that you know you you know you try and take um, these sort of apprentices, like you know, like you say, assistants on set. I mean, that's a huge opportunity for them, and it gives them yeah. a really good start to their path to their career. Um, but I suppose with this lockdown, you know, lasting basically a year, there's probably mm -hmm. a lot of careers that are have halted you know they would have done loads of different like assisting jobs and really got some uh, experience under their belts but sadly a lot of that's had to slow down um 
because of this this lockdown but hopefully you know once we're back and like we were saying with all these horrendous haircuts you uh you poor poor wonderful people are going to now have to fix um <laughs> you know there's there's going to be that opportunity and like the creative arts will just kick back in um, in a really kind of positive way um you recently, um, I, I kind of smile at this because uh, I've had a couple of colleagues uh, who have also partook in Movember. So Movember <laughs> every year and um, to varying degrees of success, I have to say. Some poor, poor guys that, yeah, you get to kind of the end of November, you're like, oh, that's, mus- that's a moustache. Oh, OK, no, that's fabulous. You know, God <laughs> love them. Um, whilst I know I, other men spend like the length, almost like the same length of a shower just to kick out a fully established moustache. But it's um, as a kind of charity um, and as a kind of a, an activity, I guess, a sort of a, you know eventful month. It's for listeners that aren't aware. It's, uh, you know, it happens every November and it really raises awareness for key sort of men's health issues and um, including mental health. Uh, and specifically into sort of men's suicide um, issues, which is, you know, worryingly on the increase sort of year on year. Um, I mean, you, you yourself on your sort of social channels have been quite candid about your own sort of mental health over the last years and what kind of Movember has sort of meant for you in terms of you being able to share your support to what such a, an incredible cause. Um you know, and luckily we are in a sort of position where mental health is becoming a louder conversation uh, in the public domain, which yeah. is which is only but a positive. I think there's work to be done, but it's you know it, we're definitely on a right path. I mean, have you found it particularly helpful to talk about your mental health, particularly like this year? It's you know, to be honest with you, I was I'm really bad at talking about and. In fact, anything, like even if I'm just feeling a little bit blah sometimes, I just kind of bottle it up and just sort of deal with it. Um, and then maybe two years ago, I probably properly acknowledged it, shall we say. Um, and the whole November thing, I did it years ago um, when it was more, because when it started, it was more about the testicular cancer kind of um, and I, I had a bit of a link to that. I found a lump when I was about sixteen, which you know, wow, is young. scary. And thank God it was it was nothing. Um, so there was that link, which is why I think I did it a couple of years after that. Um, but this year, as they moved more into the mental health thing, I thought, okay, let's let's try and look stupid for a bit and raise some money. Because um, if you're in lockdown, it doesn't really matter. I had no events or anything to go to. And so I didn't mind growing a a hefty moustache. But it is amazing how much conversation it does start because a lot of people don't know about it, which is it's getting there and they've done really well as a as a charity um to get the awareness, but a lot of people don't. So for someone to say to you, Why are you growing a moustache? does start that conversation. Um and then unfortunately a month or so before this year, a friend took their life, uh, and that really kind of cemented the fact that I wanted to do it. Um, and yeah, I raised twelve hundred odd quid at the end of it, which That's incredible <laughs> was which is fantastic. But to be honest with you, it's almost not about all of the money necessarily. Obviously, they need the money as a charity, but mm. the awareness that if 
you told someone about it, um, it spreads it a bit more. And then it allowed me to maybe speak a little bit more about my feelings towards certain things. Um, and yeah, I think if you don't talk about it, then people are going to be more afraid. I think there's a balance. I do see sometimes people on social media plaster it around a little bit too much, in my opinion, because I don't think they think about maybe the other impact that might have on people that if someone's feeling a little bit low and then they read something that is quite depressing quite often, then you don't know whether that's going to have a negative effect on them. And I get that sometimes people are wanting to to sort of raise more awareness, but I think there's an element where you you have to be a a little bit careful that you don't kind of bombard it on your your feeds so that if someone is feeling low, they don't want to keep seeing something almost where every other picture or or post is about a negative feeling. But, um, yeah, the the more we can talk about it, then hopefully the better it will be become mm, no absolutely and I think that's a, f- a fantastic thing and like you say there's nothing like slapping a big old moustache on your face <laughs> to kind of start a conversation because normally yeah if people would be like why have you done that <laughs> kind of thing so at least it kind of gives you a good entry point into having those kind of conversations and I, I, I have to say I do actually completely agree with social media I think it's it is good to have those conversations on that platform as a kind of sort of through the looking glass. I think social media can be too glossed and it's, you know, way too one, one dimensional um, a lot of the time. Um, But in the same vein, I think, yeah, putting too much of that on there doesn't really necessarily show the balance of mental health as well. It's that, yes, you, you can have, you know, depression or any kind of degree of mental health issue, but you can also kind of lead a normal life as well. So it, yeah. it's kind of like how you would have the dialogue anyway with yourself. You know, you're not necessarily, yeah. you know, and if it is every day and you do feel that way, then you've got to seek medical help. But on the whole, just by having these conversations um, and just sharing experiences, um, I think sometimes can really, really help a lot of people just to feel like they're not not alone. Yeah. And especially this year where being alone it's kind of been a government order so it's um it's good to kind of bridge those gap um and i'm sorry to hear that that happened with your friend it's there's a lot of so many experiences like that though where you know in a way people do need to sort of talk about it because it's it's a silent killer um mental health specifically within men as well uh where they you know for some societal reason maybe over the the centuries over the decades they just don't feel like they have the sort of platform to discuss it how do you see um i mean obviously you, you know you're kind of like you said you've been, you've been fortunate that you're working a lot more on set recently um and then you obviously have lovely <clears throat> excuse me um have lovely margot as well do you see um the balance of that kind of working out yourself you know as a, a kind of as a working new father with your partner as well like how you know obviously it hasn't been quite as full-on as it might have typically been but how how you can try and think about your mental health and how you're going to manage that time when things really do kick off again yeah I think I'm I'm better when I get out and about um I play I play a lot of golf unfortunately they've you know they've shut golf courses as well but hopefully they'll open back up and that I see as a real kind of get out for me and it's it's the same as being able to go for a walk now. You know, we definitely feel that 
when we take Margot out on a sort of daily walk, but that's a lovely thing and it takes you out of the what feels like four walls sometimes. And we're lucky that we have, you know, we have a garden and we did that in the first lockdown. So we were able to spend time outside. I, th- I definitely think outside space and time is a really good thing um, for how you feel, um, which is why I think it's been a bit harder recently with lockdown extending into the winter. Um, but I suppose I think, with, you know, with, with Margot and, Things change, and I think as a dad, you just know that you've got to. It's that again, and unfortunately, what I'm going to say is maybe sometimes the reason why men don't speak about it, but you have to be the man kind of thing and the dad, and be strong, and you know, and do all that thing. And if you have to be like that for your daughter or your partner, then you still have to find your outlet or your person to talk to if you are feeling a little bit. A little bit low, um, but I mean, she's pretty amazing. It's, it's, she's a very happy, smiley baby. So she's it's quite so, hard to she's so smiley. feel down when you're around her. <laughs> I have to say, I probably watched that four times this morning. The lovely video of her experiencing snow and you're like outside the oh, door oh. as her oh. little face. Like, it's absolutely. It's the best video and her laugh in it. <laughs> It kills us. We watch, we watch that quite regularly. <laughs> it's literally so the sheer excitement of looking at you playing with yeah. snow. It's just like you could yeah. see in her eyes, like this is this is blowing my mind. My dad's amazing. <laughs> Look what he's doing. <laughs> uh, I mean, would you say? I mean, did you? Oh, this probably feels like a silly question to ask, I suppose. But did you ever expect that fatherhood would have such a profound impact on your life? Uh, no, probably not. I've, I've always wanted to be a dad. I've always wanted to be a young dad. You know, like my mum and dad, dad, me at, dad was like 23 or something like that. Um, a lot younger than I am now, and I think times have changed uh, since then. But I always look up to my dad like he's my sort of hero, and I always think oh, how he raised me, I want to do the same. Um, but my God, it's, it's just the maddest thing. Everything you expect it to be is just, it's more than that. Like, and you forget, like everyone goes, oh, they, they don't sleep and they cry and all these little bad things, but they don't bother you sometimes. Like you just look at them and then once they do wake up and they smile at you or you just sort of forget about it and you just know that you've got this little person that's, you know, half of you and half of someone else that you care about. You just, yeah, you just think I've got to do all I can to to look after you both. So, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. It's probably the best job I've I've had. Though you give go career highlight, <laughs> then it's probably her. <laughs> oh, fantastic! And I think that's um, that's really lovely to hear. And I have to say, I mean. You, you know, you do hear it often and sometimes it doesn't feel very believable because I, I don't have any children myself. But everyone always says, oh, you don't really mind your baby's cry or this kind of stuff. And you, I think when you sit there as a non-parent, you kind of go, yeah, mm, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, no, don't get me wrong. Oh, there are moments. There are moments. <laughs> like the sheer exhaustion and stuff like that. But yeah, no, you put that really beautifully, actually, because I think you're right. It's um, until you're 
in the position yourself and you're looking at this little person looking back at you smiling away kind of like wow okay I can handle I can handle the odd bad nappy from you you're okay <laughs> I cannot believe the absolute time it's we've been wittering away and we're almost completely out of time would you believe that we've got three minutes remaining <laughs> so perfect time but Luke thank you so much it's been really wonderful talking with you today and um Please do give uh, Margot a big kiss and a cuddle from all of us at iCandy. She is absolutely darling. Yeah. And thank you so much for um, yeah having a chat with us today. Thank you for having me. To find out more information about the topics covered in today's podcast, please go to the iCandy blog page on www.icandyworld.com forward slash ICLife, where you'll find all the relevant links. iCandy is a proud supporter of Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital Charity. COVID-19 means the hospital is facing new challenges and needs more support than ever to continue the life-changing care and research for seriously ill children. If you are able to support GOSH, please head to our dedicated fundraising page on www.justgiving.com forward slash company forward slash iCandy.